Welcome to the SciDef Cybersecurity Podcast. I'm your host, Raymond Evans, and this is my co-host, Michael Fairweather. We're here to provide you with the cybersecurity news that matters to help you in the cyber realm. We are proud members of the Pod Bros Podcast Network. Check them out at podbros.com. Hey, hey, listeners. Welcome to Episode 10. We're joined by Michael again this week. We missed What's you last good? week. Yeah, I missed you guys too. You were uh, busy with moving and whatnot, you know, important yeah. stuff. Yeah, you know, when you when you move houses, um, they tend to not bring the internet directly with you. So I had to wait a little bit, but we're up and running now. Right on. Well, on this week's episode, I have U.S. hosts the most botnet servers and Polish airline hit by cyber attack. Says all carriers are at risk. What do you got for us, Michael? I have Sony's neglect of basic safeguards enabled their hack attack by Fortune and Samsung to stop blocking Windows updates within a few days. Nice. Well, let's get rolling right into our first story here. A report from Level 3 Communications shows that the United States leads the world in hosting malicious servers that are used remotely for command and control over infected machines. They say that China is home to the most infected machines. As they monitored communications between 1,000 command and control servers and their victims earlier this year to get a better sense of botnet behavior and to examine potential causes for an increase in the use of botnets in DOSs, data theft, and other malicious activities. They had found that 62% of the C2 servers that were being used for this malicious activity were targeting corporate networks. They say that these activities are dangerous enough to disrupt businesses and destroy their data assets. Level 3 also said that they observed malware distributing phishing services as well as performing DDoSs. They say that each botnet had 1,700 infected hosts and stayed up for an average of 38 days. The reason for all of these botnets in the U.S. is due to cloud technologies that are being used to host their malware tools. A lot of these servers that they use to host these tools are found on servers in the U.S. such as Amazon Cloud. The attackers are able to spin up virtual machines and use these legitimate infrastructures to host and distribute their malware tools. The companies who provide these services for the hosting do not validate what individuals are putting on their servers. So that's a bit of a a dangerous area. So when when you're hosting a VM, not hosting a VM, but when you've got a VM running off of Amazon's cloud, they're not looking at what you've got going on on there. No. Just, it's, you're putting it up there, whatever you put up there, that's it. Exactly. Huh. So that's, that seems like a, um, a bit of a double-edged sword, if you will. So I know a couple people that actually use uh, the cloud services for hosting like capture the flag events. And if you think about it, when you've got those events, you're going to have the possibility of having some iffy, if not malicious software running on that. So obviously it's something that you want to have on there for these types of events. Um, You obviously wouldn't want Amazon coming through and going, oh, no, you can't run this. You obviously wouldn't want Amazon coming through saying, oh, no, you can't run this and and shutting you off. But at the same time, if you're running a botnet and C2 through their services, you would want that shut down. So it definitely seems like a double-edged sword when it comes to stuff like that. It's really hard to be able to to detect the botnet because of people using these infrastructures for so many unique things. 
an individual could be using their infrastructure to host a botnet and control a botnet. However, that same sort of data traffic also could be looked at as a business that has multiple Internet of Thing devices out in the field or researchers that are out in the field. These researchers could have multiple devices, if not hundreds of devices, sitting out in the field somewhere doing data aggregation on things like people moving through stores in a mall and them trying to, to determine what stores are frequent at the most to do data analytics for marketing and research type things. Or right. it could be someone like a seismograph type lab out in California collecting data from seismographs out in the field. Or it could be somebody who's DDoSing a company and using their service as a C2 for these bots. It's really hard to be able to, to decipher this, this different traffic. So many different uses. But with that being said, you've got corporations who are going to be using, you know, almost corporate letterhead when they're paying for these services to begin with. So can't they just look at that kind of trail? Or is there, I mean, is there kind of a way around that? Uh, it'd be hard to look at that trail again because if you go on a deep web, you could very well find yourself a credit card that belongs to somebody in the corporate world or or even a card that belongs to a company that's used for company purchases and you can use that card to set up your C2 server as well. All over the deep web, there's services where you could pay 50 bucks for a credit card that has $300 on it and use that credit card to purchase services to make it more difficult to trace it back to you. Right. I guess I didn't think about that part. Yeah, I was at ShowMeCon a couple of weeks ago and we had an individual there who actually brought up some some deep web items in a talk and demonstrated how they can be used. He had showed how to buy fake money. He had actually talked about how he was hired by a bank to buy some of this money. And when they took the money to the bank and did a test on it, the bank couldn't tell which piece of currency was real and which piece of currency was fake. Wow. Um, if you have a credit card or a debit card, it's almost guaranteed that the card is on the deep web. You haven't seen malicious activity against it yet because we cycle through cards so much and there are so many credit cards on there that if your card is being used, you've won the unlucky lottery. <laughs> um, Worst it, statistic ever. He had talked about how he actually went into one company and was giving a talk on the deep web and doing some research for them and had everybody pull out their credit cards. And he had a massive database that he had pulled from deep web and every single person who was in the room's credit card was on that database. Wow. So never mind. I, um, <laughs> yeah, I guess it's not that hard to uh, make it look like you're a corporation then. No, not, not hard at all. <laughs> People may look at this story and think, Oh, China is being hit by the most bots, though. This is fantastic. Yes, they are being hit by the most bots. However, not by much. It's only by a couple thousand. <laughs> Level 3 counted 532,000 unique IP addresses in China that were being controlled by C2 systems. Whereas in the U.S., they accounted 528,000 unique so systems. So they're really just splitting hairs at that point. Can we call it even and say 530? Yeah, at, at that point, you 
when you're dealing with numbers that large, <laughs> you really are just splitting hairs there. Other countries that had really high numbers were Norway, Spain, and the Ukraine. Ukraine. Others may look at the report and get confused and say, well, these botnets are being hosted in the U.S., then why are they attacking the U.S. systems? You know, is this an American on American crime? No. Anybody from around the world can be using stolen credit cards and buying this service. It's one of the reasons why these services are being used so heavily for botnets is because of the anonymity that comes behind it. A good thing that was found, though, by Level 3 was the fact that the attackers are still using phishing techniques and emails to get into the systems of their victims. If you have a system in place to filter out phishing emails, if you have a good IPS system in place to block these malicious emails, then you're mitigating the threat and you're at no risk whatsoever. Good on you. Um, a lot of the people that are at risk though would be home users at this point and small, small businesses that aren't able to afford IDSs and IPSs. That also goes down to, I mean, for the businesses that can't afford that or the people, you know, the home user, knowing what to look for in a phishing email is definitely a plus having that training. And if you can't get it corporately, at least doing some research for yourself. You know, we talked about before the Nigerian Prince is not trying to give me money. That's a phishing scam email. The difference is, is that these people are using then instead of trying to get, well, I, they might still be trying to get money from you, but you're not giving them access to your computer to use in part of this botnet. So just knowing what to look for, if it looks suspicious don't open it you didn't win a million dollars no prince isn't trying to give you money so users watch your emails small businesses big businesses set up an ids ips to filter out these phishing emails and you'll be safe don't click anything suspicious and that would be part of basic safeguards wouldn't it don't yes. click anything suspicious absolutely yeah yeah i heard that sony had a neglect of basic safeguards which enabled the hacks against them why don't you tell us about that, Michael? Yeah, so recently Fortune Magazine came out with the um, their cover story about the cyber attacks of, on Sony last year. Basically, they kind of lit into Sony, basically saying that Sony was so focused on cost-cutting that it failed to employ several basic safeguards to protect its network and didn't put up much of a fight once the hackers breached its system. It also talked about how Sony, how the uh, Sony execs and others neglected warnings that a fictional depiction of an assassination of North Korean leader Kim Jong-un in the studio's comedy The Interview might invite a hack attack, which is really how we heard about the hacks. A lot of what the article talks about, I mean, it briefly talks about the interview, but it, it's also saying how, um, you know, as we said before, Sony really didn't look at IT fundamentals as a relevant thing. Their... Information security, SVP, uh, Jason Spaltrow was actually quoted as saying he will not invest $10 million to avoid a possible $1 million loss. You know, they tried to make some changes, but basically they're yeah, more afraid of the cost than the risks. Yeah, those changes were laying off their IT staff. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, yes, they did make changes. However, those changes were for the worst. Yeah, they considered the IT to, to not be an important revenue generator and therefore cut manpower several times. You're basically leaving yourself open with, you know, disgruntled former employees, especially IT guys who could have helped the hackers either by offering some kind of inside knowledge 
or by leaving open a back door um, while Sony was outsourcing some of its IT operations. I wonder how many of those IT guys create back doors to watch movies that are about to come out. Hmm. I need remote access to the <laughs> network. Oh, yeah, yes. The new Spider-Man's coming out. I need to ramp up um, monitoring from at home. Yeah, I need to be able to check the network from home, specifically the movie server. Yeah, we need to make sure that that doesn't go down. That data being transferred out, don't worry, it's me. I'm, yeah, that's right. Made a really big PCAP file. <laughs> I need to pull it. Well, it's, it's, uh, even that, they didn't really segregate their information on their network. I read that once the attackers got in, they basically roamed free. Yeah. They were they were able to touch everything on that network. The thing that I found to be the most surprising in this article was that they didn't encrypt emails that were used for long-term storage of business records, contracts, and documents saved in case of litigation. That seems like something very important that you would want to encrypt. I understand that many people don't comprehend encryption. I mean, it may scare some CEOs, the fact that you're going to take their data, their emails, and scramble it into an incomprehensible garbage-gook mesh right. of, of garbage. And then, on top of them not using encryption on systems, they should have been encrypting the movies as well. The movies that leaked from this hack, they should have been encrypted, and they weren't. But on top of all of the, the poor storage and poor segregation, they did something that just makes me cringe. Oh, it makes the, my uh, toes curl the so curls. badly. They had the passwords to all their systems on a file titled computer passwords, which included admin and user names and passwords. Wait, like, so you're, you're telling me you don't have that on your own personal computer? Listeners, you can't see this right now, but I'm having an aneurysm. <laughs> and that, yeah, unprotected document. Not even that, that is got to be the dumbest thing that I've ever heard of on a corporate network who produce movies worth billions of dollars. I, I'm not exaggerating here with this analogy. It is exactly like somebody leaving the keys to Fort Knox under a fake rock. With their thumbprint, with a fake thumb, with a thumbprint, and an eyeball for the retina scan as well. And a schedule of when the guards work. Right. All of those things. Admin, I, username, and passwords for a network. I am so sad for Sony. They should hire us. We can go consult for them and just like smack their hands every time they touch a keyboard. And or just, just ask, ask them what they're doing and then give them permission, yes or no, to do it. Or just go through and laugh. I think it'd be kind of funny to go through and laugh. I, I, I can't, I've got to be honest. It would be, uh, I would be awestruck to go through Sony's, um, you know, corporate headquarters. I think that'd be awesome, but I would definitely be like, so who's the guy that left all the passwords? I would ask, who is it? Let who me is talk it? to him. Did you fire him? And then had, and then he left the back door to the passwords on there. Is that what happened? Did you permanently like, sew a dunce cap to his skull? Cause that's what they deserve. At the end of the day, the attackers ultimately erased nearly half of Sony's personal computers and more than half of its servers and destroyed their startup software. And Sony basically came out and said, we don't know what we could have done to prevent this breach. I have a, I have a thought for you, Sony, if you're listening or if anybody is listening from Sony. Don't put an unencrypted file on any computer in your network called computer passwords. Just don't. 
Don't write it down. Don't put it underneath your keyboard. Don't do anything because if you fire somebody, and it's going to happen. Companies fire people all the time, some for legitimate reasons, some because, you know, the IT department doesn't really know what they're doing, apparently, and we need to get rid of them. But when you do something like that, there are going to be disgruntled employees. It's a fact. It happens in every single company. Somebody's going to get upset. So whether they did it or they helped enable, it doesn't really matter. At the end of the day, do what you can and not be stupid. There is software to scan your networks that you own, your enterprise networks, your personal networks, small business networks that will allow you to check for certain named files on computers. Buy that software, Sony, and daily run it to check for password files. That should be your IT guy's morning job. Walk in with his cup of coffee, hit start on it, let it run for an hour. Hire somebody just to do that. I'll do that. Sit them in a corner and say, do this. So... We talked about one big company that is not using basic safeguards. Let's talk about another company that's actually disabling people's basic safeguards. That company would be Samsung, who decided to turn off the Windows Update. Tell us about that, Michael. Well, Samsung was recently caught disabling Windows Update on select systems, but they have committed to ending the practice within a few days. Earlier this week... Patrick Barker, Microsoft MVP, identified a small program called Disable underscore Windows Update dot EXE. It was being pushed as part of Samsung's SW Update tool, which prevented Windows Update from automatically running in the background on PCs. I'm just going to say this. At least they called it something obvious. That's true. It could have been a lot harder to find and could have caused a lot more problems if they had like called it something like DWUP0013.exe. In that case, we'd be finding out from about this uh, particular thing years from now. When people realize what it does. Yeah, yeah. But at least you're right. At least they were able to say, hey, you know what? We're going to disable Windows Update and we're literally going to put it right there in front of you. So if you want to look and find it, go for it. So Samsung, if you do something like that again, make it obvious again. Yes, please. Or any company that, that does that, please just make it obvious. Because it just helps people who run IT and you know perform the security for networks. Because when we see something that says disable Windows updates.exe, we're going to delete it. So thank you. <laughs> Keep it up. Make it obvious so we or, can delete it. Or don't disable Windows update or any update for that matter from a company. You could, you know, make it obvious or just don't do it. Why would you go through and create a program called disable windows update? What well, would be the reason to, behind that? It, it's to disable the windows update. <laughs> well, obviously, um, you know, at that point you're forcing users to either um, not update because they don't realize it's not auto updating or to manually update. Samsung had come out and said that the reason why that they had disabled the updates was due to the fact that some of the Windows updates and the process of updating interfered with some of their programs. So they felt that their piddly little programs was more important than critical system patches. Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and say that any kind of security update or antivirus update or you know Windows Defender is going to be more important than the Samsung update or a Samsung program running. I think this is a case of some individuals in a company feeling as if they were their programs were more important than they actually were. 
They, they felt that they, their programs took precedence over basic security practices, which is never the case ever. Never. No, I don't even care if windows updates decides to stop updating itself. You manually go out there and update because that's basic security practice. Nothing trumps basic security practice. Nothing at all. People in their password files. <laughs> Sony. Now, Samsung did come out with an official statement after the file was found, and they said, and I quote, Samsung has a commitment to security, and we continue to value our partnership with Microsoft. Which is really ironic. <laughs> that wasn't part of the quote, but yes. It's like, it's like a kid eating a cake, lying to his parents, and then saying, I value the truth, and I don't like sweets. I am against frosting in all regards. They will be issuing a patch through the Samsung software update notification process to revert back to the recommended automatic Windows update settings within a few days. Samsung remains committed to providing a trustworthy user experience and we encourage customers with product questions or concerns to contact us directly at 1-800-SAMSUNG. This came, this statement came right after Windows put out a statement saying that Windows updates remain a critical component of our security commitment to our customers. We do not recommend disabling or modifying Windows updates in any way, as this could expose a customer to increased security risk. We are in contact with Samsung to address this issue. So I have a feeling that that <laughs> statement that Samsung put out was due to them having their, their wrists smacked really, really hard by Windows. I would love to be a fly on the wall for that conversation between the two companies. In the long run, they recanted. Microsoft came out and said, hey, don't disable our stuff. They're like, okay, hey, you know, we probably shouldn't disable that. We value our, you know, our partnership with Microsoft. You know those comedy movies where there's always that one guy who's like, hey, I have an idea to do something. And then there's another character that's like, hey, I have an idea to do something. And then they take that person's idea. That's Samsung and Microsoft right now. Microsoft saying, you shouldn't disable those updates. And then Samsung saying, hey, I have an idea. We shouldn't disable those updates. These are not the droids you're looking for. Hey, these aren't the droids I'm looking for. Some Jedi mind stuff going on right now. You know what disabling updates can do? It can cause you to be under a cyber attack. A cyber attack, like the one that hit the Polish airlines a couple days ago. Recently, there was a Polish airline that was hit by a cyber attack. Cyber attack specifically was a DDoS. They have no word on who might be responsible for the attack, which disabled the system. The system that was disabled was the system that's used for issuing flight plans. None of the passengers were at risk due to the attack since it did not affect systems that were used by aircraft while in the air. Around 1,400 passengers were stranded at the Warsaw Chopin Airport when the flight plan system went down for around five hours. Spokesperson said that was most likely caused by DDoS, which is when attackers flood a network and cause the network to slow down or become unresponsive due to the amount of traffic. They say this was a capacity attack which overloaded our networks and that they did not have enough detail on the lot attack to properly assess what happened. But they said that it highlighted the vulnerability of passenger jets while they're sitting on the tarmac preparing to fly. 
There are multiple systems at ground level that provide critical services for airlines and aircraft in terms of operation, maintenance, safety, and logistics. The person who was quoted talking about the systems at ground level was Santa Marta, who is a principal security consultant for the Seattle-based security research firm IOActive. And last year, Santa Marta figured out how to hack into satellite comm equipment on passenger jets through their Wi-Fi and in-flight entertainment systems. Most DOS attacks use a publicly accessible internet site as a channel through which to bombard their target. However, the LOT system has no public site, which Hmm. makes this attack even more interesting. And just recently, there was another article published which said that an IT failure may have triggered the computer system meltdown. So... This is another example of um, a cybersecurity threat. This threat is an insider threat. Insider threat sounds scary. However, most insider threats that occur are from individuals who aren't properly trained. Yeah. This attack very well could have been somebody putting a patch onto a system or somebody shutting down a server somewhere which caused the overload or a load balancer being improperly set up or something like that. Um, They also said that they're currently checking to see if there's a justified suspicion of a remote computer attack or if the incident was caused by system failure. All possibilities are being examined. Um, The airline spokesman had initially described the attack as the first attack of its kind and had suggested initially a cyber attack. You need to train your people is what it comes down to. If it was indeed an insider threat, This comes back to proper training of your people. Opening a malicious email is an insider threat. It may not have been malicious, but it's still an insider threat. Downloading an Adobe patch that really isn't an Adobe patch. It's a pop-up ad telling you to download something on your network and them not knowing how to identify phishing schemes. Again, it's another insider threat. And this comes back to basic education of the users. The number one thing for cybersecurity is education. We harped on it last episode and we're going to harp on it again. You got to train your people better. You got to train your people to identify phishing scams. You have to train your people to take proper procedures when an attack happens. You have to train your people on basic security principles. Two-factor authentication needs to be trained and pounded into people's head. Proper password management and proper password usage needs to be pounded into people's heads. And hopefully some people out there who are listening to this will take some of these suggestions back to where they work and train some of their coworkers. Even if you don't work in IT and you're listening to this, spread the word to your fellow coworkers. Spread the, the word to your family and your friends, your parents, your grandparents, because they need it just as much. Home users need this knowledge just as much as individuals in the corporate world. Yeah. Uh, my mother-in-law has had her credit card stolen multiple times, and I've had to remote access into her computer four or five times now to fix it. And every time I go in there, her computer is riddled with adware and clickbait that's been clicked on and toolbars that have been installed and downloaded from clickbait. My favorite is the Ask toolbar. We know it's malware now, right? Yeah. Microsoft considers it malware. As they should. I hate toolbars, by the way. Toolbars are terrible. They are. They're just the worst. Add-ons are fantastic. You know, add-ons like Ghostry. Love Ghostry. Download Ghostry, people. It's fantastic. 
And while you're downloading Ghostry to protect your privacy, because that's what it does, it stops people from collecting your analytics of your data. Go watch Mr. Robot. Make yourself a little bit more paranoid about <laughs> your privacy and the world around you, because it is a fantastic show by the USA Networks. We are not paid to endorse them whatsoever. We just like it that much. It's fantastic. It is one of the best representations of hacking and mainstream media to exist. Chris Hemsworth with black hat. Look, no hacker looks like that. Okay. <laughs> End of the movie. Spoilers, by the way, when the head of a major Intel agency opens up an email, a phishing email, that's not realistic. You know what is realistic? Your brute force not working. Somebody walking up to you on the street, asking to borrow your cell phone to collect your, your cell phone number by calling their own phone. Somebody sitting and watching what you're doing to collect personal data to perform an attack against you. Those are realistic. And these are all things that Mr. Robot demonstrates on the show. I sat there and, and read every line that was typed into his terminal. And I got to tell you, it is some of the most accurate syntax and usage of command line I've ever seen in mainstream media. Which is awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It's fantastic. The fact that it's not long, it's no longer the, uh, you can bang on a keyboard for five seconds and Hey, look, you, you hacked the NSA mainframe. You you did what now? I'm sorry. It takes longer than that to log into your computer. I don't know. I got a solid state hard drive, you know, (laughs) two seconds. I'm up. So yes, watch Mr. Robot. You'll be smarter for it. If not, don't watch it to try to, to do what he did, does. Watch it to learn what to look for. Watch it to help make yourself better at your cybersecurity posture. And on that note, this week we covered U.S. hosts the most botnet servers and determined that users need to watch for phishing scams. Sony neglects basic safeguards and enabled to hack against themselves. Sony, you got to hire us to come through and do your security audit. That's what we determined from that one. <laughs> also, users never have a computer password file. Don't do it. We're going to make a page on our website. It's like a page of shame. We're going to put you up on there. Any news story that comes out that says, oh, this company had a passwords file. You're going on the site. So Sony's first, right? Yeah. Or, or yeah. are we going to wait? No, we're going to do Sony first. Let's do this. Wall of shame going up. Samsung to stop blocking Windows updates within a few days. From that, we determined that was bad. Samsung, you were bad. Don't disable updates ever. Always update. Bad Samsung. And the Polish airline was hit by a cyber attack. Says all carriers were at risk. But then it turned out that uh, it may have been a failure on IT's part. So you need to train your people. And reduce the risk of an insider threat. What's our cybersecurity tip of the week there, Michael? This week we're talking about passwords. In this case, we're actually talking about passphrases. The best thing you can possibly do is come up with a sentence. Not just a word or a random you know, gathering of letters and numbers and uppercase and lowercase and crazy symbols. But actually coming up with an actual phrase. One, that you'll remember. And two, it makes it a lot harder to guess. So, pick a passphrase. They're the strongest type of passwords, and they're the easiest to remember. You can use a sentence. Um, where did I park my car? Dude, where's my car? Or dude, where's my car? That's a passphrase. That'll be a lot easier to remember, for one, because you'll remember the awesome movie with Ashton Kutcher and Sean William Scott, if I'm not mistaken, from many, many years ago. It'll make you laugh. But also, you'll remember it. 
and it'll be harder to guess because people aren't going to be looking for passphrases. They're going to be looking for specific words. You should probably stay away from passphrases from movies. Use something unique that's unique to your life and something that has happened to you, such as, say, you had your tonsils removed at the age of 12. Your passphrase could be, my tonsils were removed at the age of 12. That's not going to be in a rainbow dictionary. <laughs> well, now I'm going to make a rainbow dictionary with that specific passphrase in there. And it's going to say, every, yeah, every single age. But you get the gist. Passphrases are much easier to remember, and they're harder to guess. Than a normal password. All right, that's a fantastic tip this week, Michael. You get a gold star and a cookie. Yay. Both. You get a cookie in the shape of a gold star. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah. A golden cookie? Going to cookie star. All right. I was your host this week, Raymond Evans, and he was my glorious co host, Michael Fairweather. Stay safe. Keep your network safe. Have a week.